welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 12.11 First Avenue North on the third floor. By National Public Radio, and the idea behind the podcast is they go on and they interview founders of famous companies. And they sort of do companies from all sorts of things. It's not just tech companies, but it's companies like Sam Adams. They did one on the, the girl who invented Spanx the sort of undergarment, right? And they tell these stories of how they have overcome so many things about how they, Sam Adams started as a home brewer in his kitchen and how uh, the, all these people went through and all the things that they had overcome. And these stories are fascinating to us because in our culture, we are absolutely fascinated by these mythic stories of founders, right? Think about in technology right now. Right, the story of Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, each in their own garage, making something that all of us use today. Think about Mark Zuckerberg in his college dorm, writing code that now makes him billions and billions of dollars. We love these stories of these founders who create these unbelievable companies out of, out of thin air, it seems. And we, we listen to them, we read them, and we're absolutely enthralled when we think about them. And not only that, but our culture also loves the, the, the sort of the myth of the fixer, right? This is happening right now. Uh, Uber had to fire its founder and CEO and is getting a new guy, and he's going to fix Uber, right? Yahoo has tried this like a thousand times, and they're still Yahoo, right? <laughs> you, 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 I hate to tell people who are a little bit older, um, but young people judge you by how your email address ends. Uh, and depending on what the end of it is, right? Yahoo is one of those companies that, that has gone through a, a number of leaders and they haven't done so well. And so what do they do? They fire and it's on to the next one, right? Why? Why do we love these stories of Zuckerberg and Jobs and Gates? And we sort of look at Yahoo and roll our eyes and go, those people can't get it together. Right? They're a bunch of yahoos. Right? I think that's the origin of that phrase. It's not. It's not. Just a friendly joke among friends. Why do we love these stories so much? Because our culture teaches us that the greatest thing that we can have, the best thing that we can have, is success. That whatever Zuckerberg did in his dorm room, that whatever Jobs and Gates did in their garages, that's what we need to be doing. That, that's the big deal. That's the important thing. Success is what matters. And what's interesting is, this is the cultural air that we breathe. Whether we're a Christian or not, whether we believe in God or not, all of us have this baked in to what, how we think. What's a struggle for those of us who are Christians is that we oftentimes import, we oftentimes bring in this template into the way that we view Christianity. So that as we begin to look around, we look for that guy with the garage story. We look for the people that started from nothing and now they're at the top. 
what's interesting is this isn't unique to us. This idea of bringing our cultural framework, our cultural ideas, and trying to mold Christianity after those ideas. This is something that has happened uh, throughout time. It was happening in Corinth. In Corinth, their sort of ideal was eloquence. And after Paul started the church in Corinth, a guy came after them. Their second pastor there at the church was this guy named Apollos. And Apollos happened to be a very eloquent... eloquent. You know you're not eloquent when you can't even say the word eloquent out loud, right? Apollos was a very eloquent speaker. What we can see from Paul is he probably wasn't. And so the people of Corinth started to divide and say, no. Paul's the most successful leader. He started this. This started in his proverbial garage. And other people said, no, no, no. Apollos is the leader. He's the, look, listen to him. He talks really nice. He talks purdy. And so he says, what's going on, right? Who should we follow? And what they were doing was beginning to bring their cultural template, their way of thinking that's programmed into them, into the church. And it's not just us, and it's not just Corinth that does this. What we see as we look at the church, as we look at Christianity across time, is that any time that the church has taken the culture around them, the, the world around them, the way that things worked in their society, and imported Christianity and molded it after that, any time that that was the case, the church lost its message. The church... And the good news of Jesus began to lose meaning because it was fit, it was squeezed into a mold that it wasn't intended to. And we do this exact same thing. We mold the message of Jesus into our cultural framework instead of allowing Jesus to shape the way that we think about everything around us in our community. And that's what we're going to see this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to see the way that the Corinthians did that, and in so many ways, the way we do as well. So what I'd invite you to do is stand with me. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 3 out loud to us. Uh, you're welcome to follow along in your Bibles if you have them. It'll be on your screen, and it's also in the City Church app. And so let's hear what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, But I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace that God has given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. 
For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has done has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but is only through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If there's anyone among you who thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. You see, what Paul does continues on a theme that he has been working with uh, throughout the book of Corinthians. If you've been here over the past few weeks, you've seen that Paul has used these, these different words and these different analogies for the ways that our cultural framework, sometimes he calls it wisdom, here he also calls it the flesh, the way that the world around us teaches us to think is not the same as the way God is calling us to live. And in this passage, he's continuing to do that by showing us about the way that we build and see community around us. And he kind of provides a contrast point. The way that we think of culture, or the culture teaches us to think about community naturally, and the way that God call, is calling us to think about it differently. So, so think about the way that we form communities, the way that we form groups now. One of the things that we are obsessed with as a culture is celebrities. It's pretty fair to say that we are obsessed with celebrities. This is why Twitter and Instagram uh, exist, to my knowledge. So we know where Kanye ate dinner. We look around us and we go, what can I know about these important people? This is why we love the myth of the founder. The myth of the guy who created the thing in his garage, because we love celebrities. This is the same thing that's true in politics, isn't it? No matter which side of the aisle you find yourself on, or if you find yourself in an independent spot in the middle of the aisle, we all sort of have these people that we look to and go, that's my guy. That's the guy that I agree with. That's the girl that I agree with. That's the one who I follow. And I just want to point out, if your Christianity does not have a critique for the person you find to be your political leader... You don't have a political leader. Do you know what you call somebody or something that you can't critique? A god. And I think for a lot of us, on both sides of the aisle, we have taken and elevated political leaders to be little gods. And all of us have this ingrained nature where we want to sort of associate ourselves with somebody famous. We want to associate and say, oh yes, I'm, 
I'm a part of this thing, right? I, I do this all the time. I am guilty of this. Because in churches, we, we sort of baptize this by saying, oh, no, well, I, don't, I don't believe in celebrities. Now, my favorite pastor is the famous pastor of this huge church in this big city. And I'm guilty of this. When people ask about our church, I say, well, have you heard of Tim Keller? He's a pastor in New York City. He's a big deal, and he's a very good speaker. We're his sister church. He, he, he has no idea that we exist. He's never heard of us. But if I can do anything at all to associate our name with his name, I feel like I'm doing a... You know, we're, that's our team. That's who we're with. What's, what's interesting is that squeezing Christianity into the culture's framework. Because as a culture, celebrities are a big deal. Same is true in Corinth, right? They wanted to have their celebrity pastor, either the, the great church planter Paul, or the eloquent speaker Apollos, or the guy that knew Jesus personally, Peter. Right? They were sort of arguing over who was the best celebrity. And not only that, the people in Corinth were sort of using this tried and true methodology, this sort of worldly assumed wisdom of how things go. I've talked before about One Million Cups, which is the sort of entrepreneur's think tank that I go to on Wednesdays. And it's so funny because you always know kind of what kind of presentation you're going to get. There's three kinds. The first kind are the awful kind, right? Um, those are people who are kind and doing something interesting. They're not doing something interesting, but they needed someone to fill a spot, and it seemed like a good idea. Then there are the other ones that are really, really interesting. And the third kind are the kind that have an idea that's not so great, but they have somebody who's really good at presenting that idea. And you can always tell who these people are because they use a very simple phrase. We're trying to be the Uber of law firms. We're trying to be the Uber of chair delivery. We're going to be the Uber of boxes. They always use the phrase, we want to be the Uber of their industry. Why? Because all of us sort of know what it means to be the Uber of something, right? It's convenient, it's fast, it's on my phone, and I like it, right? So if somebody tells me we're going to be the Uber of drone delivery, I go, oh, I'd like to get packaged by drones. I'm interested in what this person has to say. And we sort of are drawn to it. Why? Because it's sort of the tried and true methodology. If you want to be an up-and-coming startup, you've got to be the Uber of something. What's interesting in the church at Corinth is the way that they were sort of doing this. They were taking all of the ways that their culture taught them on how to spread a message and were just doing everything just like that. The culture said you have to find the best speaker who is the most eloquent and you put him up in front of everybody and that's the methodology you use. And Paul comes along and says that's, that's a cultural framework. You're squeezing Christianity into something that it's not. We as Christians in 2017 do this as well. See, our culture values giftedness, hard work, 
and intelligence. You think about all those guys in the garage, all those founders, what did they have? They had giftedness, sure. They had intelligence, absolutely. They had hard work or stealing it from twins. And we value that. And when we come to Christianity, we think, I can make my relationship with God just right if I just apply my hard work, my intelligence, and my giftedness, and then everything's going to be fine. Everything will be just fine if I apply that. The hard part is, is that for those of us who have tried to live our lives that way, it hasn't quite worked out, has it? My intelligence doesn't always get me to Jesus. My hard work, even on spiritual things, doesn't always result in a better relationship with God. You see, Paul ends the chapter by talking about the fact that our cultural wisdom is foolishness to God. The way that we naturally and instinctively think about things is foolishness to God. It doesn't satisfy. And it's as another writer in the Bible says, chasing after the wind. So Paul tells us what happens when we try to squeeze the message of Jesus into a box that it's not supposed to be in, into a mold, and we try to take it and squish it into something that it's not, we end up with something that doesn't satisfy. So, what does he say in this passage about how we are supposed to see community. The first thing he says is that it, that it ought to be founded on the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The news, as we say around here at City Church, that we are more broken and messed up than we realize. But that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we're more loved and accepted and forgiven than we could possibly dream. And what Paul says is that at our foundation, any way that we look at the world around us has to begin from that point. That's the the premise. That's the foundation is the word that he uses in this passage. And he also talks about the fact that despite the fact that he planted the church and Apollos watered the church, there is a sense in which neither of them matters. Because did either of them create faith in the people of Corinth? No. No. Because it's impossible for a human being to create faith in somebody else. No matter how eloquent I am, see I said the word right that time, I cannot convince you of the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of Jesus. I can't. No matter how many clever stories I have, and neat connections, and funny little side jokes I've got, I cannot convince you of the truth, the goodness, or the beauty of Jesus. What the Bible says is the foundation of this has to be God at work in your life. And once He opens our eyes to His truth, to His goodness, to His beauty, we begin to see it all around us. So not only do we have a different foundation, it's not celebrities, it is Jesus Christ, good news. But our methods are different. We're not using something tried and true that our culture understands. In fact, do you know what I have to offer you here this morning? 
I've got four things to offer you here at City Church. This is what City Church has to offer you. We can offer you a book, bread, wine, and water. Good luck with all that. Right? Those are things that each one of you has at your home. If not all four, you've probably got three of the four. Out of a book, bread, wine, and water, these are things that are on our kitchen table on a nearly daily basis. And yet, these are the things that the church has to offer you. We don't have the best music. We don't have the best speakers. We don't have the best anything that I can think of. Do you know what we do have? We have a book, which is the actual Word of God. We have bread and wine, which is a reminder of God's death on the cross on our behalf. We have water, which reminds us of the cleansing and forgiveness that we can have in Jesus. This is what the church has to offer. Nothing flashy. Nothing sexy. Everything very common that is used by the Holy Spirit to make us new. And all of this, the way that we interact with people around us, is rooted in what Paul says at the end of this chapter. That we are Christ and Christ is God. That we are fundamentally united to Jesus. That we have union with Christ. Those of us who are Christians enjoy this real benefit that we are Christ and He is ours. That we are united to Him because of the cross. So that when God looks at us, He sees us as the very extension of Jesus' life and work on this planet. And so as we read this chapter, we see again and again and again that more often than not, we kick back to our cultural defaults. Our hearts flip over and want to do things the way that we've always done them, the way that culture around us understands them. And at the heart of it is the cross, which seems like foolishness. Because as far as the myth of founders goes, the cross is a pretty bad one, isn't it? No heroic story of great discoveries in a garage, but rather a death. That does not seem like the best way to start something new, does it? And yet, because Jesus, our founder, dies at the beginning of this story, he unites us to himself and his death and resurrection. So that in his death, he takes our sins away from us. He takes the punishment on himself. And in his resurrection, he gives us a new life. So that by being united to Him, to His cross and to the resurrection, we are really given new life. And Paul expresses it in 1 Corinthians 3 in two ways. He says that we are the temple and we are the field. We are the temple because we are God's holy dwelling place. City Church, the place that God shines brightest and where His love is most vibrant, is in the church, is in the places where we are gathered together. This is why we've been emphasizing city groups here at City Church. Because God lives in us. 
and shines brightest in us when we are experiencing real community with one another. And it's where his beauty is being built up. The second thing he says is that we are God's field. And fields are a place where growth happens. Because God does not just intend for us to be lights to ourselves, to see beauty among ourselves, but he intends for us to move outward. Just like a field produces fruit that goes all over, so we are meant to be a people shaped by a new way of thinking, shaped by the good news that we are broken and messed up and yet accepted and forgiven, shaped by the fact that Jesus has made us new and called us to something new. And when we begin to see the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus, we begin to share that with those around us. We become a a missional outpost, a field producing fruit for others around us.